back once again to another episode of Theology Doesn't Suck. As always, I am Josh Patterson, and I am with my buddy, whose name is... <laughs> Can you hear me? Andy. There you go. <laughs> yeah, no, I was just messing with you. Oh, uh, I got you. I got uh, you. I got you. <laughs> yeah, my name is Andy Herman, and um, I am the more handsome of the two hosts. That's probably fair. You have a beard, and I don't. I, you know, I'm just kidding, Josh. You're handsome, dude. I've noticed something though. Every single guest <laughs> or person we have had on this podcast has had beautiful facial hair, and I don't mm. have that. Period. Yeah, it is unfortunate. <laughs> like my wife. I mean, that's my wife makes fun of me. Like, <laughs> really? Wow, that's rough, man. Yeah. I mean, that's probably why your theology is a little weak. That's probably if true. We're being honest. Yeah. No. Exactly right. Because <laughs> all good reformed people have nice facial hair. Yeah, and facial so, hair correlates to theological strength, yeah. I believe. And so since all I can grow is like a, I don't even know what to call it, a little bit of fluff on my chin. <laughs> yeah. It's just well, not good. you know, interesting fact, have you, if you've ever noticed, like all the guys, like all the KJV only pastors, no beards. Um, <laughs> don't equate me like with the, those people. <laughs> all the Molinists, no beards. You know, all these different groups, the, all these heretics and like people who are on the fringe no beards man you know who does have nice beards though who anabaptist uh Bruxy i feel like Cavey has a very nice beard you want to look hair. though at like a lot of the offshoots of the anabaptist tradition like a lot of like the mennonites and amish people like they have beards but a lot of times they do that thing where they shave off like the front part of the beard <laughs> you know and that's gross and that just, just totally like ruins that. it yeah I feel yeah you. it's just neck beard <laughs> like uh, that's the worst part of the beard like why would you do that that's actually fair dang it i just can't yeah. win today sorry man. sorry well you know give it another shot next week maybe all right i'll try <laughs> i'll take some so josh beard growth serum oh there you go or you could use a what is that bosley maybe i Does don't know just Bo- bosley <laughs> do beards too i know that they do like hair restoration for men do they do beard restoration or we can, beard in, <laughs> implants? We can, we can try. Or even better. And since <clears throat> this, dude, this is a perfect time because unfortunately, I don't know if you heard, but the creator of SpongeBob has recently <clears throat> passed away. He was only 57 years old. He had ALS. But in the SpongeBob oh, movie, wow. Dennis, the like evil bad guy, could just grow yep. a mustache just by thinking about it. Like a full on nice mustache. Yeah. <laughs> So That's maybe awesome. I can try that. Yeah, just think about it really hard and let me know how that goes. All right. I got you. I'll get and, back uh, to you. Yeah. In the meantime, I'll sit here stroking my beard. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of beards. <laughs> and beard stroking because he's doing it right now. He is. He is. We have a special guest with us today, Andy. Even a very special guest, Josh? Yes, very special, Actually, super special, all the way special. We we need to switch that, remember, because we don't say – everyone says very special. We say a super-duper special Super-duper special. Fantastic, yeah. beautiful, lovely, amazing, wonderful. Wow. That's high praise. Yeah. And his name is yeah. Marty Frederick. Marty Frederick. You have to say it right. Marty Frederick. Hello, Frederick. Marty. Hello. How are you? How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Good. I'm just admiring your beard, too. Um, Thanks. I'm admiring your beard. Isn't it great to have a beard? <laughs> yeah. I think what I'll do is I'll pull a hair out and I'll hand it to Josh. Here you go, Josh. You can have that. Oh, that, thanks, man. Put that in your beard. 
and save it for later. Oh, yeah. Maybe that <laughs> you will could be just, like tape it. It could be a part of the face. potion that you brew up to grow yeah. a beard. Ooh, it works. Nice. Oh, hold on. We're not doing potions, are we? That's definitely not. I mean, okay. that's not what I I mean, you know what I mean. Are you, <laughs> who knows what Josh does? Are you a no Harry Potter person, Andy? No, I enjoy Harry Potter. Okay, cool. Just making yeah. sure. No, I, lo- I, I enjoy good Harry Potter. I mean, I don't know Harry Potter stuff that well, but I enjoy it. I also am a big fan of Lord of the Rings. There you go. That's a good one. If you guys are into that at all? Oh yes, Lord of the Rings rocks. You know, before I um, before I had seen all the movies, uh, some kids in my last youth group said we're going to watch all of the extended cuts in one mm. day, <laughs> and it was pretty much one day. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a whole extended, day yeah. for sure. You know, um, last last winter when my wife and I we were sick, and so we were in bed for like three days. We were both like really sick. Nice. So we decided to do. A Lord of the Rings and Hobbit marathon. And so we watched all six of those movies. It took like two full days. Yeah. It was wow. crazy. That, yeah, that's insane. Yeah. But uh, I love I love Lord of the Rings. And I actually like the Hobbit movies too. I know some people don't like them, but no, I, I enjoy No, I think they're really good. The only thing that bugged me was since they shot it in such high resolution that like yeah. We can't even process it. Sometimes it hurt my <laughs> eyes to look at the screen, but I, I enjoy it. Oh, really? It. Yeah, I like The Hobbit, though. It's it's great. Do you wear contacts, Josh? I do not. I have perfect okay. vision. Same here. Marty, <laughs> however, has a nice big pair of hipster glasses on. Hey, you know, and, sometimes uh... <laughs> what I gain from having glasses is style that y'all can't match that's true i know yeah sometimes <laughs> i am a little jealous i wish that i could pull that off you could but... do those lensless ones you know you see those people I that don't... walk around with just... lenses in their glasses just for style does judas that Smith just actually feels... need glasses or yeah. is fake or carl lentz i doubt it i doubt either of them actually need glasses i bet you but if i was go- if i was gonna do it i'm not gonna do it but if i was i would definitely put at least like just like little clear lenses in there yeah. that don't do anything yeah because you don't want to just have, like, holes in your glasses and then everyone, like, obviously knows. <laughs> but uh, you know what was what glasses are really cool are those shutter shades. Oh, gosh. You, remember, you guys remember those from, like, the early 2000s? Yeah. Which are they're, Dude, literally, they were bars of plastic that went across the oh, entire yeah. thing. You can't see out it of them. It made it really hard to see. <laughs> yeah, you can't really see. They were good but for raves, cool. and that's it. Kanye and Akon were super about those, if I remember. <laughs> I'm, not that, I'm just not that hip. Dude. I'm sorry. I, I, I've The beard is all a facade. On the inside, oh. I'm totally unhip. <laughs> wow. Well, and Marty, unfortunately, the beard is also a facade. Because today you're going to be arguing for credo baptism. Wow! And we all we all know that a true bearded reformed person would argue for pedo baptism. So by way of segue, another one of my trademarked beautiful segues today. Well done, Andy. We are talking about the case for credo baptism. So Josh's friend Marty here is uh, joining us because he is way smarter than either of us, and he actually has an MDiv. Uh, so, you know, he's educated, he's qualified to actually talk about theology, and uh, he is going to be sharing the case for credo-baptism with us from Scripture. So, I don't know if that's where we want to start. We probably want to start with a little bit of background about you, Marty, right? Yeah, that's a right, good Josh? idea. Let's, Marty, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, about your family. Yeah, so, uh, sure. I just want to make uh, say that I actually don't have an MDiv. I have a master's oh, of spiritual formation. 
So okay, essentially, my, my degree is uh, an MDiv without the biblical languages. Uh, it's pretty much nice. what I what I earned. So I went to Gordon Conwell um, and from 2012 through 2014. Um, I am married. I'll be married for 10 years this in July of 2019. So nine and a half years. I have oh. uh, four kids that are eight, seven, six, and four. Um, we have a very busy household. And about a year <laughs> ago to this day, we we uh, my wife and I decided out of some weird craziness to buy a puppy. And so for <laughs> about six months, we had four kids and a puppy in the house. Um, and then that, that changed. <laughs> um, but so, uh, that's a lot. So really, so my, my job currently, I'm a pastor of worship arts at the journey church, um, here in Boca Raton, Florida. Um, that's going to be changing very soon. I'll be moving to Chicago, the suburbs of Chicago, a small town called Grace Lake, Illinois, where I'll be doing a job of the same title, uh, but just at a different church, uh, move close to home, mm-hmm. closer home to family. So. Awesome. So you're from the Chicago area yep. originally? I'm from the Chicago area. So, you know, even though they're terrible this year, I'm a huge Bulls fan. <laughs> I'm a huge Blackhawks fan. I'm a huge White Sox fan. And they're not terrible this year. Finally, I'm a huge Chicago Bears fan. So hopefully when I listen <laughs> to this, you know, in like four or five months, I'll be celebrating a Chicago Bears Super Bowl win instead of, you know, wondering what could have been. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That would be that would be world shaking if the Chicago Bears won the Super oh, Bowl. Oh, absolutely, dude, That'd Andy. I, f- well, I found a place of common ground. You and I can both make fun of Marty because he likes the Blackhawks. Because the Caps yeah, and, and the Avalanche <laughs> are both far superior. <laughs> Although I will far point superior. out, in the last ten years, the Blackhawks have won three Stanley Cups. That is fair. Or maybe maybe fifteen years now, as I'm getting older. Yeah. Well, you want to know something fun, Marty? In the last 10 years, the Avs have made the playoffs twice. So, <laughs> Well, I do remember Patrick Waugh, and I do remember watching uh, Patrick, Patrick Waugh uh, just completely so wild the NHL every single yeah. time he got out of the ice. So, man, that's – and I also remember watching him uh, skate across the ice and lay a beat down on my, the, the team that I despise more than anyone in, in the Detroit Red Wings. So that that was Amen. great. That was, we can agree on that. Yeah. I think we can all agree. Can. On yes. Yeah, well, you know what was really spectacular, though, was Patrick Waugh as a coach. Yeah. Because he was the Avs coach for three years, and his very first game, he got into a fight with the other coach, like a, a huge yelling match, and started breaking down the barrier between the two teams' benches. <laughs> that's where the phrase, holy Waugh, came from, I'm pretty sure. That's where... <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so that's good. If you're our, if you're a listener, hopefully you like hockey. If not, tough it out, I guess. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not sure this is the podcast to listen to if you don't like hockey. <laughs> the push the narrative yeah. guys love love. Well, at least Justin does. Well, the one guy does. Yeah. yeah. But um, sorry, Gabe. So <laughs> speaking of hockey, hockey is played on ice. Ice is basically it's just water, and Water is used for baptism, so well today done. we're talking well about done. credo baptism. Thank you. <laughs> um, today we're talking about credo baptism, uh, which, just to give a quick definition, and if you want to amend this, Marty, feel free to, but credo baptism is essentially the belief that only uh, people, basically people who are old enough to profess faith uh, should be baptized and then within that, I mean, most credo Baptists also believe that it should be done by immersion, but I don't know if you particularly believe that. Um, but 
I don't know. I don't know where we want to start exactly, but Marty, I don't, if you want to take it away with maybe, have you always been a credo Baptist? Did you ever waver on that and kind of your background with that? Yeah. So uh, I became a follower of Christ for the first time when I was 16 years old. Uh, that was in an evangelical free church uh, in the northern suburbs of Chicago. And uh, to make a long story short, um, I grew up Catholic. Um, and so I was baptized as an infant uh, when I was, you know, who knows how old I was. And then I had uh, first Holy Communion. I had, you know, confirmation in the Catholic Church. I went through all of that. Um, and uh, so a little bit about me. I'm I'm 100% Irish. So growing up in the city of Chicago with Irish grandparents, uh, pretty much, you know, if you weren't Catholic, uh, that was pretty much not the right way to go. So that's kind of where I came from. Um and so when I became a Protestant, when I kind of made that made that shift uh, in high school, um, I at the EV Free Church really everything was about you know making a a choice to follow Christ, making a choice to then be baptized. Not necessarily because it's going to do anything for you, but more so just because of the idea that like as a follower of Christ, you're you're professing your faith in front of other people in a public way. Uh, to kind of show the world that you're a follower of Jesus and also out of out of obedience for Christ. It, I think the big thing that I've sensed is a difference for me in kind of learning about baptism and studying about it myself while, while I was in seminary and working in different places uh, was the difference between whether this is an ordinance or whether it's a sacrament. And mm. those two things have been kind of where I've seen a shift in my own personal belief on this. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where I'm coming from. Yeah, that's no, that's a good, that's a good distinction to draw because traditionally, even in more reformed Baptist settings, they'll call baptism and the Lord's Supper ordinances. Yeah. Whereas in a Presbyterian church, such as mine, we would call them sacraments because even though we don't hold a Catholic view um, where, where the sacraments are like, basically the means by which you are saved in in entirety but uh we would believe that sacraments do have some kind of spiritual benefit yeah and so i, I that would be a big difference i would imagine what would you say that the sacraments have any kind of spiritual benefit like or would you say it's totally just an outward sign yeah i i, I think it, it the line gets grayed for me and 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 the reason the line's grayed for me specifically is you know i'm just gonna kind of admit to something here um, <laughs> as someone that, you know, lives in credo baptism is someone that uh, has four children that are under the age of nine and have not been baptized uh, specifically as a specific choice, not just because, you know, we, 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 we forgot to go to church that day or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the reason for that is we've had our own reasons for it, but ultimately like, I want to make it clear that like, I do not look at infant baptism as this like the like just like this totally wrong view of theology, this, this theological yeah. problem in the church today. And I, you know, I also don't look at, you know, whether it's via immersion or sprinkling or something like that as like, man, there's just gotta be this distinction. And if it's not this way, man, you have to get baptized again or like your baptism didn't yeah. count or something like that. Uh, one of my seminary professors put it best uh, when she said, um, if you believe that salvation is attached to 
baptism itself. <clears throat> As in, mm-hmm. when you get baptized, you are cleansed from your sin. Then it's a real problem to discern whether you are an infant baptism person or an adult believer's baptism person. But if you mm-hmm. can get your mind around the idea that maybe salvation is not attached to this in any way, shape, or form, but instead this is something that you're going to do out of obedience to Christ, out of a desire to be to be able to live as much like Christ as possible and to do what he's called us to do, um, then... Mm-hmm. And, and you remove salvific anything from it. Now you can focus on, you know, realizing this is not sort of this rudimentary centerline issue that if you don't get right, you're going to die and you're going to be burning in the lake of fire for the rest of eternity. With Josh Patterson. Yeah. <laughs> with Josh Patterson. Yeah, no, I would, I would totally agree with you there. I think, um, I mean, as a reformed person, I do think that baptism does, uh, when when received with faith and it gets tricky here because i mean not everyone who's baptized will ultimately have saving faith but like for those who have saving faith and are being regenerated from my perspective already as an infant being regenerated by the spirit i believe baptism has a spiritual effect for them yeah uh but i don't believe that baptism is a mechanical thing that saves you and so i think we'd be at least kind of on the same page in the sense that i don't think that getting baptized is like what causes someone to be saved yeah uh and so, and so I can agree with you there that it's not like, it's an issue that is worth discussing, but it's not an issue that should like cause huge division and animosity or anything like that. Totally. And you know, like you, you said something there that's really key to me. It's like this idea that like, um, if I'm going to like, you know, I take my kids, for example, you know, my four children, you know, we have as husband and wife decided, you know, Listen, our kids right now are not at an age where we feel like they're making a decision to follow Christ when they're six months old. Now, yeah, you can take the idea, you can make a theological case for, you know, hey, you know, when Jesus was an infant, of course, he had some sort of connection to the father. I mean, of course, that's true. You can even take other scriptural examples and say, you know, these people, you know, John the Baptist leaped for joy you know, as an, as a child, when he came into the presence of God and the temple and all these, you know, so you can take all these different pieces and put that together and say, hey, like, you know, children do have this connection to the father that, you know, your standard Baptist would say there's no connection to 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 salvation at all until they're old enough to make this dis- distinction, make a decision. decision. You know, right. I, I mean, I think that that's probably a little extreme. Um, but I think for me, the big thing is, you know, I want my kids more so not because I believe that this is salvific for them. And th- this is the key thing for me. I want my kids to be able to say we are choosing to do this because, you know, we understand what the Bible says about salvation, about following Jesus. We understand what the Bible says about being a Christ follower. We understand what the Bible says is our responsibility as people on earth to not only follow after Christ and lead people to him, but to literally, as Matthew says, go into all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so when they when they understand those things, we want them to make that outward confession, that outward symbol. But I would say that that outward symbol is evidence of like an actual spiritual change in their life itself. Mm-hmm. And so like what I think a lot of people would say, oh, you know, the, the traditional Baptist would say, well, 
baptism is just a sign and symbol. It's not actually something. No, I mean, I would say you wouldn't get baptized unless you are like dead sure that you are following Christ. And like that to me is the sign. Like, you know, hey, I'm so convinced of this that I'm willing to take this next step in my faith. Hmm. And so this is this is a little bit of a tangent, but a point that you just made there too, um, like just brought something to mind that I'd never thought about before, which is <laughs> that this difference in baptism, although I know it isn't always, I know there are reformed Baptists. So uh, I know this isn't of necessity, but how infant baptism can kind of in a way be connected to like a Calvinistic view of salvation. It can be. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Because, because when we believe that, uh, it is God who gives faith as a gift. And so and so that can be something that he is doing. He can be regenerating that child, working in their heart from the very beginning. They don't have to make a decision for it to happen. Right. Um, that lends itself much more easily to infant baptism than does like a standard Arminian idea of like there has to be a decision at some point. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, even even still like, man, I'm, I'm going to like Josh, I'm just going to totally like ruin my <laughs> position when I say this, I'm sure. Um, but, you know, when you boil down to the lowest common denominator, you know, even just the idea of becoming a Christ follower and like, you know, your Arminian belief would be, you know, as humans, we need to make some sort of act. We need to do some sort of thing. To, in order to yeah. complete that quote, this is a terrible term, but that that transaction between <laughs> us and God to receive this yeah. this free gift, I guess, is what you'd say. Whereas the yeah. reformed, you know, that Calvinistic theology would say that God does all of that work. I mean, man, like, mm-hmm. I just to be honest, like, I am all for that because even if you boil it down to the lowest common denominator and you say, "Well, I made this decision to follow Christ," well, you made the decision to follow Christ because the Holy Spirit convicted you to do so. And so you yeah. can't sit there and say it was your choice because it was never your choice. Very <laughs> nice. All right. I'm liking this. I'm liking this guy. Hey, I feel like I said something <laughs> oh. similar before too, right? And you called you me a yeah, Calvinist. You say, so you, you should call Marty Calvinistic a Calvinist things, too. Josh. Yeah, Marty, you're a Calvinist. <laughs> Sorry, I will never um. agree with limited atonement. Just going to put that out <laughs> So because we'll of that, that, I we'll can't be a Calvinist. Oh, you know what I thought of today that's kind of <laughs> kind of terrible, but I thought it was hilarious. So you know, um you know how like there was the Me Too movement and all that, and then there's like kind of a response on some parts of social media that was like not all men hash okay. and so I was you know, like hashtag not all men because you know, like people were trying to you know have you have you heard of that before? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? So my my thought that I had today was Limited atonement. The original, not all men. <laughs> Bro, you should put it on your meme page, dude. Just do it. I was I'm probably going to. I'm probably going to. I'll give it a um, like because it's funny. Thanks. Isn't it isn't it funny? Um so we've gotten kind of deep into this without uh, doing this officially, but uh if you don't mind, Marty, I know that it seems like you're a pretty easygoing guy and you and you're not super abrasive when it comes to this stuff. But if, theoretically, if you're going to present the case for credo-baptism to someone who is a paedo-baptist, you are going to try to convince them that credo-baptism is is the biblical idea of baptism. How would you do it? Where would you start? Yeah. Um, so to, to kind of take a, a, a play out of the Calvinistic playbook, <laughs> um, 
I'm going to not necessarily point to like a specific passage, but kind of point to the idea of as you read examples from scripture, you can gain the idea. So as you think about like covenantal theology, you can kind of say, well, based on this, we can kind of, you know, deduct, we can, we we can all deduce that, you know, this is the way. And for me, the big one and, you know, I'm sorry, I I personally believe this is like the ultimate trump card. So you might disagree. And that's totally fine. Da, 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 um, but uh, the ultimate trump card to me is that Jesus Christ himself was baptized as a follower, <laughs> as an adult, as a grown man, making a clear and conscious decision. And yes, I get that, like, that was a little bit separate, uh, a little bit yeah. different because he's Jesus uh, and we're not Jesus at all. Um, but I think for me, I think the thing that convinced me the most um, and by the way, uh, Andy and Josh, Josh knows this much more about me, but I think Andy, you may be getting this and like, this is just who I am. Um, I, I work in a, from a very relational standpoint. And so for me, the best way to describe my opinion on why, uh, credo baptism, adult believers baptism is the, the thing that I am most convinced of is just based off my own experience. Um, okay. and when I think about the idea of like being baptized as a follower of Christ and like making that choice to do so, the thing that convinced me was the fact that when you read through the gospels, when you read through the book of Acts, when you read through the New Testament, you find example after example after example after example of somebody making a decision to follow Christ and then immediately being baptized. And you think about the day of Pentecost, you know, it says that these people, thousands devoted their life to following Christ and were baptized that day. Hmm. And so like, these yeah. were people that were making this choice. Now, again, I, I, I guess I'll, I, I can see the fact that like, this was a different time in history where like, you know, right. this is where the church was just starting. Correct. So like they didn't, they wouldn't have had the opportunity to have like their parents wouldn't have had the choice to say like, hey, like we're going to we're going to make this decision as parents <laughs> to like hope that our children will become Christ followers in the future. Like, no, like that's they didn't have yeah. that option. But like I think about like the the story um, in uh, Acts 8 where the, the eunuch is traveling with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And when they're driving down the road, he's just made this decision to follow Christ. They weren't driving, Josh. They were in a, a, a horse and chariot, driving. I'm sure. They yeah. were driving. He's doing like a modern translation. He's doing like the message <laughs> this thing. Is, this they is, were in their 2012 <laughs> Nissan Sentra. This is the Frederick, the Frederick <laughs> message. Uh, but That's a pretty nice car for an apostle. It's yeah. a little spendy. It was a little much. They were in a 1983. <laughs> a Buick Century. Uh, <laughs> All right, there we go. I uh, can get on board with that. Acts 8, uh, 36 says, As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave the order to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So, like, as I read that, like, I just find example after example in Scripture in the New mm-hmm. Testament of people making a decision to follow and then very shortly after being baptized. And I think yeah. as a young Christian, for me, the, the convincing fact was I couldn't find anything in scripture that said, you know, so-and-so's parents decided that 
they were going to, because of this covenants, these these covenants of old, that they were going to deduce from, you know, what they had read before, that the best thing, you know, would be to, you know, baptize their children as infants. And and I remember in the when, when I worked in the Reformed Church for two years, one of the things that always struck me of the liturgy of baptism, when there would be a baptism service, was the, the preacher or the pastor would always use the word hope. When they were talking about this, they would say, we baptize this this baby in hope that they become a follower of Christ later on in life. And I remember always just yeah. feeling like, man, that's really silly to me that we would do <laughs> something, this really big thing, this really important thing that we would take time out of the service and like say, like, this is really important. We're going to focus on this today. Baptism is so huge, but it's all based on hope. And, mm-hmm. you know, I remember thinking to myself, well, we don't have to hope. We can we can just we can make this clear distinction and decision and say, you know, we're making this choice. And and, and many probably won't agree with me, but I don't think that slaps in the face of a reformed theological perspective, because I think well, that you can look at that and say, we're making this choice, even though it was Christ all along, it was the Holy Spirit all along that guided us to this. And so the the thing that I would want to push back on with just that last thing you said a little bit um is that obviously, I mean, I don't think you'd make the argument that every person who's baptized as an adult by a profession of faith is probably a genuine believer either, right? I'm sure oh, there are, have been false professions. I'm confident that in the world, <laughs> there and, and, and it, it may not be on their own accord either. It could be that, you know, some manifest destiny, you know, gung-ho, you know, Christian in the 1800s traveled to some, you know, godforsaken land somewhere and decided they were just going to start baptizing people and had they, those people had no idea. <laughs> but also I would, I would but agree even, with you I and say even, like, I'm sure there are people okay. out there that have, you know, have said I'm a follower of Jesus, but it hasn't been something that they were fully convicted and convinced of. And some, right. they, they made this decision to then be baptized, but then, you know, continue to live their life in the same way that they have been living weeks before that, before they had ever even gone to church for the first time. Uh, so I think my right. caution to people would just be like, always caution people and say like, you know, don't like if, if you're going to follow credo baptism, I think that the danger is to make sure that these people are doing this in a genuine way and not say, Oh, we're just going to let them get baptized. Even though we're not even sure if they even believe in Jesus or that, that would be my yeah. caution. Yeah, I would even say too, like in, I mean, just from ministry experience, like there's, there has to be times because I feel like a lot of the time pastors or, or well, the church in general, people get so hung up in like numbers in the fact that they, yeah. they want to be able to say, we baptize X amount of people this year that there's there. it I think it is extremely reasonable to believe and to think that there are people who are baptized because like the pastor was so convincing. He just said like, Hey, you're going to do this thing because you have to, it's the right step. They were kind of manipulated into doing it so that they could then, you know, pat themselves on the back with, with a nice number. So I feel like that's also a thing people get, get pressured into yeah. it as well when and, they, when they might not even. That, yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I, my point with that was just that, um, while of course, like with with infant baptism, we don't know that every person, every infant we baptize will be a believer, obviously. Um, but I don't think that's necessarily any. You don't have much more certainty with credo baptism. I mean, 
you have people professing faith, but there are still going to be false professions and things like that. So um, that, that's just a common argument I've heard before. And I, I guess I see where, where you're coming from because initially I, what you're saying makes sense. But I think when you think about it, you don't, it's not like you have certainty. You can't see into the heart of the person either way. Yeah. Well, and, and I think the idea here is, you know, with the concept of baptism, whether you're going to look at infant baptism or you're going to look at adult baptism is there is a measure of faith on the part of the person doing the baptizing uh, to, yeah. to, to say like, you know, Hey, we're, we're hoping that this is actually real. And, and, and as a pastor myself, I have personally baptized people who then that next day I saw a picture of them on Facebook, you know, flipping the middle finger up and getting a tattoo. <laughs> I mean, it, and I don't have any issues with yeah. tattoos, but like, you know, it was just, there was something about the, about the picture that I saw. And I remember feeling like, man, like, I literally just baptized you and hugged you and like you made this extreme declaration of faith like out here in public. And then now you're posting a picture of yourself flipping the bird. Like I fail to see the connection <laughs> between these two things. Yeah. Yeah. So um, one other thing that comes up a lot, I think, in the in the difference between credo baptism and pedo baptism um, is that from a pedo baptist perspective, we would define baptism more as like a sign of God's promises rather than like a declaration of our own faith. Whereas in a credo Baptist perspective, you would, you would take it more as like a, as basically a sign of your profession, right? It's you, it's a way that you indicate your obedience to Christ. Is yeah. that, yeah, is that a fair representation? Yeah. I actually got in trouble at my reform church when I taught a membership class for the high school kids. And I, <laughs> I didn't say that this was anything other than an opportunity for them to declare their faith for the world. Uh, I got in a lot of trouble for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Cause from a reform perspective, we, we see it more as a like a seal of God's promises than as a personal declaration. Yeah. Even though, for the record, you probably know this, having been in Reformed Church, for the record, we still do believe that if an adult comes to faith oh, yeah. and they weren't baptized as a baby, they should be baptized. Yeah, and, and you know, which is, which is why, like, I have zero issue. Some of this is me, again, you know, coming from this credo baptism, you know, perspective, I have zero issue with the concept of infant baptism. And like, I mean, I, you know, someone lays out the the case for infant baptism. They say, hey, here's why I believe in that. You know, my first mm -hmm. thought is, hey, man, I'm so glad that you are doing this thing that's so important and so enriching for you. And I also, by the way, agree with everything you're saying. You know, <laughs> and none of what you're saying is theologically inaccurate. None of what you're saying yeah. is like, man, like when I read scripture, like it's just mm -hmm. not there. I mean, that's just in the, the case for infant baptism. I guess what I would say is as theologically accurate as the case for credo baptism, simply just because of the fact that scripture doesn't explicitly tell us you must baptize only infants or you must baptize only adults when they're able to make a profession of faith. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, Josh, do you have any, any other thoughts or questions that are coming up as we're going through this? Sure. Well, I have, I have, uh, <clears throat> two just different ideas that I thought about throwing out there. One of them and uh, I was kind of bummed because, I mean, I was having so much fun in the in the pedo-baptism episode that I forgot to ask this. How how would yeah. you, Andy, respond to somebody saying like, oh, well, you know, we see that, uh, you know, pedo-baptism really came to be 
more popular during the you know medieval period where infant mortality was very high and the church was just trying yeah. to to cover these kids you know protect them so that uh, they didn't go to hell when they died so they they would do this quick baptism and then oh a theology was then built out of that to justify that you know position have you heard yeah. that argument before I, I have heard that argument and I mean I don't so I don't know my sources super well so I can't like give you can't quote you a chapter and verse here uh, but I do know just from having listened to other other people teaching on this stuff there are references to infant baptism in the church very early on um, it's not something that just developed like way later sure uh, it's something that's something that's talked about pretty early on and there are as odd as this might sound to make a case for like the earliness of infant baptism there are arguments against infant baptism really early in the history of the church okay which leads <laughs> like and i say that because that makes the point that very early on people were already practicing infant baptism if someone's going to be arguing against it right sure um so so i think the history thing i think there's a fairly i mean i know there are some debates over this but i think there's a fairly good foundation for believing that from what i know at least that believing that infant baptism is a very early practice uh in the church and um at the point that adam brought up which marty or josh i'd love to hear maybe a credo baptist response to this we kind of talked about it in the pedo baptism episode but uh, uh one of the points that our guest adam who was my pastor in uh, at, at our presbyterian church brought up last episode was that God throughout throughout scripture in the Old Testament and like and on we would argue into the new has has worked kind of through families and so the covenant sign that he's given for example in the Old Testament circumcision it's always been passed down through the family and so in the New Testament when the Messiah has come and the, and now the new sign of the covenant the new sign of God's people's baptism the natural assumption would be that he would continue to give it to believers and their children, that it would continue to work through families. And so the absence of clarification on that, the fact that there's nowhere where we're really told, oh, kids aren't in included in this anymore, like don't baptize your kids, seems to point to the fact that God is continuing to work in the same way that he always has through families. So um, I've, I've always found that to be a really compelling argument, but I'd be curious to hear what you guys have to say about that. Yeah, and just to answer Josh's question also, um, and by the way, like, sorry guys, but like, I've just continually like negated my own personal belief <laughs> throughout the course of this yeah. episode. Um, but you know, the, the argument you make, Josh, for like the, or like the, the question you posed about, you know, infant baptism is a, is a sort of a invention of like the, the church in the early, you know, fourth or fifth century or something like that because of infant mortality rate. Interestingly enough, I've only ever heard that argument made from like a Southern Baptist who would say it needs to be from somebody that would make like a profession of faith first. So like if that's their reasoning and they say like this is where infant baptism came from, I guess I just don't I fail to see the connection on how that like helps the case of, you know, adult believers baptism to like negate to say like, oh, well, this is where infant baptism came from because of simply just because of the fact that like, yeah, it's fine that if you think that's where adult or where infant baptism came from, but still that doesn't prove your point. And it's also yeah. grossly historically inaccurate. So, oh no, for sure. Yeah. I, I, I. When I was saying that, I wasn't agreeing with that statement. I was just kind of bringing up the argument because it's funny. I feel like 
Totally. Maybe Josh, I should. Yes, you were. Maybe I shouldn't go here, but I feel like there's a very Come specific on, person that Marty had in mind who made that argument because there's only one person I've ever heard make that argument, and I just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> I've heard similar arguments from other okay, people before, okay. but uh, so maybe um, maybe there wasn't shade being thrown, and I was perceiving something that wasn't there. But anyway, um, yeah, whatever. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. That's okay. I just but, wanted, to, anyway, I just wanted so, to throw it out there and see what you'd say for the benefit no, of I, our beautiful I listeners. That. I, that's kind of the whole point. You guys are supposed to just be firing your credo Baptist arguments like rapid fire. But anyway, uh, so if you guys remember what I said at this point, yes. Uh, do you I, have thoughts on that? Uh, I mean, I think to be honest, that was the first time I heard that argument uh, when Adam mm-hmm. made that on that episode, and I also agree with you that that was. Um, I mean, I think that's a fairly convincing argument. And if I'm also honest, I haven't done a whole bunch of research. Like I didn't go back and Google search, you know, ways to, to go against Adam and you for that, <laughs> ways for to that specific point of view. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, and yeah. also, like I said in that episode as well, um, I think this is kind of, for me, this is like more of a secondary issue. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, traditionally I've just kind of fallen into the, the, you know, credo Baptist kind of tradition or, or whatever, but, um, I don't, I'm kind of like Marty. I don't really, I'm not going to say that, that pedo baptism is wrong or that the theology sucks or the logic doesn't check out or, you know, take that away. Theology from... doesn't suck. <laughs> it doesn't. Hey, Sorry. good plug, man. You're good at Sorry. this. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. I mean, I don't, I don't have a, and maybe I'm lame, and and the listeners now are like, oh man, Josh is so dumb. This podcast does suck. And if you guys think that, then go away. Just kidding. Don't do that. Don't go away. No, we need you. We, do. we only have like five of you guys listening. So. <laughs> now don't we go away. now we only have four. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Oh, oh, Josh. <laughs> uh, so. Maybe Marty, any if you have any. I mean, I'm not trying to like attack you guys or anything, but I'm just curious to hear I feel how very you respond attacking. to that. No, it's okay. I've been holding back all of my fiery darts on purpose because I like <laughs> okay, you. Good. Um, and Thanks. I, I didn't. I didn't want you to cry. Um, and if like if I laid out all my best arguments, you wouldn't be able to air this podcast because you would no longer be an infant baptism supporter. Whoa! So I'm just gonna Whoa. keep them to myself. Wow. Uh, but I, all right, that was pretty. And so pretty now intense. to go back to reality, um, you know, it, it, it is an interesting argument to me. The idea that baptism comes, you know, scripturally, you know, just by example, if if you look at the covenants and creeds throughout throughout you know the, the covenants throughout scripture that you would find that presented in the form of a family uh thing and and i and i think there is yeah. a lot to that um because i think that family first and foremost is i mean like you know if have any of you guys ever heard of the curriculum orange or yes. the orange curriculum for uh, yeah and so the big thing behind the orange curriculum is that like if you're a, a children's director or a youth director or youth pastor or whatever, you know, if you were to take a thousand hours, you know, you might get 10% of that. Whereas a family is going to get the other 90% of that. And so much of what happens as far as spiritual growth and just the growth in general uh, is either going to be because of what happens in the home or spiritual growth is going to be stunted because of what happens in the home. And Mm -hmm. I think if if you can look at and say, you know, 
here's what we believe as a family. Here's what we say is that is the concept as a family. And to me, I, I would look at that argument that he made and say, I see where you're coming from with that. What I would push back on is, is that so much of what we do um, as followers, especially those of us that have larger families or even just have a family at all, you know, we would all probably say we have the life experiences we have and we have the beliefs we have simply because of what experiences we had as a family growing up. You know, we would mm-hmm. probably say, I believe this and this and this because of, you know, my time, <laughs> you know, as a as this person in my family or, you know, my grandpa. I mean, even earlier in the episode, I said, you know, I grew up Catholic because my family was Catholic. And, yeah. you know, in the area that I grew up in was predominantly Catholic. And the, you know, sort of the ethnic group that I'm a part of was predominantly Catholic. And so that was a big part of me growing up. Um, but I guess where I would, where I would lose the connection on that would be, you know, scripture doesn't necessarily say directly, oh, you know, for instance, you know, scripture doesn't say every, you know, you know, so-and-so went to this person's household and said, you know, be baptized. And so then everyone was, um, sometimes, you know, or, or everyone was even the infants. It might just say everyone was, um, and I and I just think about that and I say, like sort of like you said, the the unclarity for me doesn't make me say, oh well it must be this. Mm-hmm. The previous argument, the unclarity for me says that's not important. Mm-hmm. The 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 important thing is that we follow this declaration that was given to us. We follow this example that was shown to us. And instead of saying, Oh, well, the most important thing is figuring out what to deduce from this. Yeah. The most important thing is saying, you know, let's not make it harder than it has to be. Let's let God deal with those things that, you know, probably are going to force us one way or the other. And instead, let's just simply focus on being obedient and doing what he's asked us to do. And I think that's the key for me personally. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So, so just out of curiosity, because you seem more than some other credo Baptists I know, <laughs> and probably similarly to Josh, you have a pretty soft stance towards pedo baptism in yeah. in the and by that I mean like a, a fairly uh like friendly stance like you don't like anathemize pedo baptists or anything obviously and you no I also don't burn them at the stake that's or good. burn effigies of them <laughs> oh man all right well all right thanks Marty that's enough I'm just kidding um so but anyway what I, what I was gonna ask you is just out of curiosity in a theoretical world where marty is setting all the rules for the local church okay um would you uh require someone who was baptized as a baby to be rebaptized to be a member of your church <laughs> oh man uh i feel like if you asked me this question at 5:31 p.m. on december 10th i would i would answer it more truthfully because that's my <laughs> final uh the the first moment Ooh, that, okay <laughs> um so hey those of you that I, are well, listening to this <laughs> well let me tell you something marty i think this episode is gonna air after december 10th oh yeah well, okay so just say it um you know my <laughs> say, my, yeah, my philosophy <laughs> my, my philosophy on baptism has always been that and Again, with a lot of my theology on these, what sort of like what Josh referred to earlier, like the second tier issues for me yeah. uh, on a theological perspective is 
to go back with to what we were just talking about a moment ago, what is best for your family? Mm-hmm. Uh, what is best for your upbringing? You know, what's best for you? I mean, hey, listen, if you were baptized as an infant and now you and since you were a child, you've been a part of the church and you've been going to church, but but not even the going to church thing, not even the serving at church thing, not even the whole giving to church thing, which I know Josh has uh, issues with the whole 10% aspect of it, but we won't go into that. That's a different episode. <laughs> we should be episode. more generous than 10%. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah. a different episode. Uh, we'll, we should, we'll end it at that. I believe in giving to the church, just the 10% thing is lame. give in an, in an <laughs> uncomfortable way. Yes. Um, but sure. um, I think all of those things to me, you, you have to look at those things and say, what's best for your family? Mm-hmm. You know, and so if I was, you know, declaring the rules for a global one Protestant denominational church, which sounds a whole lot like the Left Behind series yeah. books. Which, <laughs> yes, it does. Um, Lame books. Don't read them. <laughs> one World Church. <laughs> yeah. If if I was declaring a rule for that, yeah. I think what my rule would be is, listen, if you're a follower of Christ, you were baptized as an infant, and you're continuing on your walk with Jesus Christ, and every single day you are living your life in a way that says, I'm a follower of Jesus Everything I do is because of this relationship I have with Christ. Nothing else is more important to me at all. Then I'm going to say, hey, listen, this is not important for you. You do not need to get re-baptized, mm-hmm. you know, just because, you know, we want to. And uh, honestly, I'll say this directly, just because we want to check a box and say you've been baptized and you've <laughs> yeah. made this choice. Yeah. Or we want to say, hey, in 2018, we baptized you know, 75 people, which is 30% more than we baptized last year. See, look, our church is growing. Mm-hmm. How fantastic is this? <laughs> you know, and I think, honestly, that's where I think we have lost our marbles yeah. <laughs> with this whole topic is it's become about, you know, it's, it's, it's become less about what's best for the family, what's best for the person and getting to know the person specifically and directly. Hey, what actually makes this person tick? What actually makes this person believe what they believe? Why do they believe in Jesus the way they do? Instead of focusing on that and understanding the person, it's been about, well, before we can actually get to know you, before we can allow you to be a part of our church, before we can allow you to serve in this capacity or that capacity, we've got to make sure you check all the boxes. Mm -hmm. And that sounds an awful lot like Puritan theology when they said, you got to be able to check all the boxes and guess what experiment and glimmering city on a hill didn't work. Puritan experiment. <laughs> I just and it was like because to, I would like to throw in <laughs> that I am a fan of a lot of the Puritan stuff. I Not love Puritans, <laughs> but I have a, my, so my undergraduate degree, which I guess I didn't mention earlier is in colonial history. Oh, okay. And I studied so much about Puritan <laughs> theology and Puritan history. Yeah. And then when I went to seminary, I got to go, uh, this is one of my claims to fame is history. No one else actually cares about this. So Andy, <laughs> maybe you will. Um, but I actually got to put my hands on and ring a legitimate tried and true bona fide Paul Revere and Co. Bell. Really? Wow. Like, actually, like the full size church bell That's awesome. uh, on the North Shore of Massachusetts. And I like got to like touch it and mess with it. And it was super cool. That's awesome. Um, but like, you know, what, what, <laughs> what the Puritans got wrong was this you've got to check this box and this box and this box. And if you didn't, if you weren't baptized as an infant, 
you're ineligible for membership in this church. Uh-huh. Which means that, let's say something happened. Like I mentioned earlier, you, you were sick that day and your parents mm-hmm. didn't go to church. And so you missed the baptism ceremony or whatever. I mean, I'm not sure how that worked there, obviously. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, if you missed that moment, then you're ineligible for membership in the church. Right. And that dogma and that specific set of rules and regulations is literally what led to the downfall of this perfect puritanism in america you know we're going to be this shining city on a hill for all the world to see so close and if if only everybody just would have been perfect (laughs) that would make things a lot easier yeah right uh, okay. so i guess th- th- that'd be my that, that's my answer I, I would not require anyone to do anything especially if they would say to to me but not even to me just that they could make the decision and say for themselves between them and the, and the lord that they were followers of jesus yeah so deeply and in re- action so for you this is definitely a, a secondary issue that doesn't affect things like church members and stuff like that I would I wouldn't say it affects I would say that it's important for someone to have been baptized to be a member of a church um and simply not because of anything other than you like just that that you the unification of people together uh people being unified around all the same kind of thing and also out of obedience like like you said yeah and so you would you'd you'd be willing to accept different interpretations absolutely assuming like that person is still seeking obedience to christ in their interpretation and then if someone came mm-hmm. along and said hey listen i was baptized as an infant and you know i'm i've just really been praying about that and as i go about my life and as i think about my walk with christ it's important to me that i make this that i that i do this I want. I would like to be baptized again, not because I think I need it, not because I think I have to do it, but because this is something that I would view as important uh, in my walk with Christ. I'm not going to look at that person and say, "Oh, listen, sorry." You know, even though Scripture says just one baptism, and so you're going to have to go because guess what they're going to do? They're going to go somewhere else, and they're going <laughs> to find somebody else that will baptize. Them. Go find some Anabaptists so <laughs> if they're convinced that they need to do this. It's not going to stop them from yeah. doing it where we are and they're just going to go somewhere else and do it that way anyway and so it i'm a big believer in that like i said relationship and education and teaching people what it means to be a follower of christ and teaching them to to actually ask questions you know what is important and where should i be going with my next step in christ not just letting the the pastor tell them what to do next man if i was a credo baptist i'd be way harsher than you (laughs) well I'll, admittedly, I'm probably not the number one person you did. <laughs> I'm, it's okay. No, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. It's good. Um, Josh, do you have any? As we're we're already man, this episode has flown by. We're already kind of getting close to the end of our time allotment for this episode. But do you have any um, any points you would differ on what Marty was just saying, or any other thoughts you would like to add um, about credo baptism as we're wrapping up? I will add a thought. Okay just for discussion purposes <clears throat> because one thing that i've heard that i uh you know because i i agree with what marty was just saying uh, including the bit about like if it, you know someone was baptized as a baby and now they're an adult they've prayed about it they decided like they want to do this great um so i agree with those things but what i what you can find sometimes that i do have a hard time with and i don't agree with actually i'll just straight up say i don't agree with it is when churches require you to be baptized in their church to be a member i think that's nonsensical 
Uh, and it's just, again, I think that ultimately only comes down to the fact that they want to be able to pat themselves on the back and say, we baptized X amount of people this year, you know, look at us, whatever. Or it's, or it's a, a way to like say, Hey, we know for certain this person's been baptized based on what our requirements of baptism is. Yeah. And so we feel comfortable allowing them to be members of our church as opposed to saying like, Hey, you know, like you think about like, you know, if I drive from Florida to Georgia, my Florida driver's license is going to be good for me to be able to operate a vehicle on the road. (laughs) But like, it seems like there are some churches that Mm -hmm. miss that mark. Although I, I I mean, I guess what the only (laughs) thing I'd push back on that with Josh is that it seems like those churches seem to be farther and fewer between. Yes. Than I think sometimes we feel like they are. I think sometimes we say, oh man, there's so many of those types of churches out there when really there probably aren't Mm -hmm. as many of those. I think what we what we run more into are churches that, you know, just they they have a belief on baptism. They have a belief on what they feel is the right way to be baptized. And so then they spend all their time focusing on the people of their church, making sure that they all believe the same exact way and completely uneducating them about the other side. And not not because it's important to them that they just, you know, just like, you know, teach these people exactly only what they believe, but they have a fear that if they teach all the aspects of baptism, all the positions on baptism, not just the basics, but like why someone would choose infant baptism. Why like and just as a as a as a husband and a wife with a newborn baby, you know, going to an RCA church or a CRC church, you know, why would that family choose mm-hmm. to baptize their child? And I think that all churches, community churches, non-denominational churches, Presbyterian churches, AG churches, charismatic churches, no matter who you are, you should be teaching everyone in your church all of these positions on baptism and teaching them why they're important to understand, why they all are important and why they all matter, and why it's okay to have a perspective on baptism that doesn't align with the church necessarily. But if you want, but just then also saying like, hey, listen, here's what we ask you to do to be a member of the church. You know, we're going to ask you to do X, Y, and Z. Here's all the positions about baptism. We're not going to go out on a limb and tell you, you can't be here any longer if you don't agree with our position. But we want to make sure you all know all of it. I think churches get so focused on like, you know, the way of their church. You know, you think of like, (laughs) you know, this is the way we do things. And, you know, other churches might do it differently, but they're wrong. This is the way, this is the way it ought to be. And I'm not just speaking about most recent places, but <laughs> many of the places I've been on staff at. Nice. <laughs> uh, the, I mean, and just to say it, the Reformed Church that I was a part of, they believed, like, they were, like, they, we, when we, before we went on staff, I had, my son was a month away from being born. And one of the questions we had asked was, when we come on staff, we are not convinced that we are up for infant baptism uh what's that going to look like with our son being born after we've come on staff in this church uh and the pastor said hey you don't need to worry about that no one's going to push you on it we have elders at the at the church that are not all for infant baptism and that we have we even have an elder that's a staunch uh person against infant baptism 100 percent against it and yet 
when we came on staff at that church, no one ever said anything until about a week before we left. And then all this stuff came pouring out. I can't believe you never baptized Liam. I can't believe Liam was never baptized as an infant. And it, so it wasn't actually true. <laughs> uh, so I think that would be my, like, just my thing is, you know, there's too many churches out there that are not educating their people about the positions that are available, that are out there on baptism. Because if anything, you are getting a deeper understanding of theology, a deeper understanding about the church history and the history of everything that has ever happened in the world. You're getting this understanding of like, hey, here's where the idea for infant baptism came from. And here's why it's important for you to know that. Here's where the position on adult believers baptism came from. Here's why it's important for you to know that. And we're going to put mm-hmm. it all out there. And I think churches missed that mark. Hmm. Awesome. Well, um, thank you so much for coming on today, Marty. We really, I've enjoyed talking with you and I'm sure Josh has too. Unless yeah, it's Josh... always cool to get a hang out with Marty. Yeah, <laughs> that's what that's what I hear. You guys are in Florida, so I don't know. I don't get to bug him anymore. His office used to be right next to mine. Oh, man, I would never get any work done. <laughs> oh, yeah. Josh would send so... me a meme every two seconds. <laughs> I still do that. So... He does. I just, I'm, I'm capable of not responding now because he's not right down the other side of the Because he's not going to yeah. like peek his head in the door and be like, when you respond? <laughs> yeah. He'll peek his head in. Hey, did you see that meme? <laughs> like, oh yeah oh, i did wow. but i'm also working right now <laughs> i'm like some people i do my job <laughs> yeah oh, great. Man. well <laughs> awesome well thank you so much for joining us marty um thank you for having me hopefully we'll be able to have you again sometime even if you're in chicago we can we do distance stuff already so you know adding someone else isn't that hard yeah, um, most definitely should yeah absolutely so uh Thank you to our listeners as well. If you're if you're still listening now, thank you for listening with us. Uh, we hope that you've enjoyed this episode, that the conversation was interesting and edifying for you. If you have any questions or comments or angry rants or um, ideas for episodes or anything like that, uh, feel free to go to our website, which is theologydoesntsuck.com, and you can uh, contact us through the page, which on the menu is labeled Contact Us. So pretty very smart, pretty straightforward there. I know whoever came up with that's a genius. Um, we also have an Instagram <laughs> run by Josh over there in Florida, Hooray. and uh, it's at theology doesn't suck. It's a great Instagram account. You should definitely follow it. Um, and other than that, any anything else we need to communicate, Josh, going forward? Oh well, we did have the idea about trying to get some questions mm. from our listeners. <clears throat> to do maybe like a Q&A episode. And I know we talked about that on the Calvinism episode that we recently released. And so, yeah, so if you have any questions uh, that you would like us to give responses to, maybe not necessarily answers, but responses, uh, you can also contact us through that contact form on the contact page. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, but just be sure that you that you note the fact that this is for the Q&A episode. Yeah, so do answer questions through email, but if you'd like to do a question for the Q&A episode that we're hoping to do in the future, uh, just just make sure you note that in the message, and we would love to get some questions for the Q&A episode. So, uh, awesome. Well, this has been Theology Doesn't Suck, and until next week, um, be reformed. Go Caps! Go Caps! <laughs>